we welcome you to the Tabernacle Podcast, brought to you by the Tabernacle Baptist Church in Hickory, North Carolina. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit our website, tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. You can find other sermons like this one on Apple Podcast, YouTube, and Sermon Audio. It is our prayer that God has used this message to be an encouragement to your heart. Let's take our Bibles and uh, go with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 11. I've been uh, meditating on uh, this chapter in recent days, and a week ago uh, from this previous Wednesday, I brought a message to you from this passage on faith and the demonstration of faith, and looking primarily at uh, the lessons that we learn uh, from the faith of Abraham and his wife Sarah. And we saw that faith is trusting God for the unknown. And we must trust God for the unknown. God called Abraham to go to a land that he would tell him about, show him. And Abraham obeyed the Lord. And then we saw that faith is believing God, trusting God for the impossible. Sarah conceived. And uh, she bare a child. She received strength. And uh, God gave her a son. And then the Lord demanded of Abraham that he would offer up his son, Isaac, his only son. And uh, Abraham trusted that God would be able to raise Isaac up if he were to slay him on that altar. And of course, God prevented him from doing so. But we found there that trusting, or faith rather, is trusting God to give him our all. And we're learning to trust the Lord. Now, as a church, uh, we are believing and trusting God that he will lead us forward. And uh, we have a great opportunity that is before us. And uh, with every open door, there are many adversaries. And so we will have times of victory and times of confidence and assurance, but there will always there will also come with that trying times and difficult times when we begin to look around at circumstances as Peter did when he got off the boat. He said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come. But when he got off the boat onto the water, he began to walk to Jesus, but not long afterwards, he saw the wind boisterous. And, uh, and the waves crashing in his feet, and he began to sink down. And so uh, we must exercise faith as a church family, and we're trusting God. And we're going to learn uh, some, some more lessons tonight concerning this subject of faith from Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to concentrate on verses 13 through 16, and then we'll also read verses 20 and 22. And so if you'll read with me, verse 13, these all died in faith. Notice those two words, in faith. They lived in faith and they died in faith. Not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. 
And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly. Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. Now, in verse number 13, the Bible said, These all died in faith. In verse 20, the Bible speaks of Isaac. In verse 21, the Bible speaks of Jacob, in particular, when he was dying. In verse 22, the Bible speaks of Joseph when he died. And so we find that we must have faith in life and in death. These all died in faith. And so I want to speak to you on this subject, in faith. In faith. We must live in faith. We must live by faith. And as we learn about faith, we note some things from these verses. And I hope you'll write them down tonight. First of all, I want you to see the perception of faith. The perception. Notice again, if you would, in verse number 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises. God called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. He said, I'm going to lead you into a land and you will inherit that land. I'm going to give you a son and I'm going to give you a lineage, a family. I'm going to make of you a nation, a, a nation so large it is as innumerable as the grains of sand on the shore or as innumerable as the stars in heaven. Well, Abraham didn't see all of that, did he? He made it to that land, but he never possessed it. He possessed a piece of it. He bought a plot for his wife, Sarah, to be buried in a cave. But it all belonged to him because of the promise of God. He had a son when he was 100 years old, Isaac. God gave him a boy. He was thankful to have that son. But he did not see the fulfillment of that promise, not all of it. He saw uh, partially some of these things come to pass. But the Bible says that though he did not receive them, though they, those who live by faith and in faith, did not receive the promises in verse 13, they saw them afar off the perception of faith. They saw the promises of God. How did they see them? They did not physically see them. As again, as I said just a moment ago, Abraham did not have all the land of Canaan at his disposal. He wasn't given the title deed. The Canaanites did not leave when he came into town. So how did he receive these promises? How did he see them afar off? He saw them afar off by faith. You see, the word seen here speaks of what he knew to be true. He didn't have a vision of the land, some, some vision that he could grasp in his sight, but he believed God and he trusted God 
and he knew, looking at it, though the circumstances at the time were not lining up favorably on his behalf, he knew that God had told him, I'm calling you out of Ur, I'm going to take you into Canaan, and I'm going to make that land your land. I'm going to fill it with your descendants. I'm going to bless all the nations of the earth through you. God had a plan. God had a purpose. And Abraham trusted in that purpose. And therefore, in faith, he was able to perceive, he was able to understand and to know that what God had said was true. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 and verse 17, So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. God spoke to Abraham. You see, faith is not just some concept. Uh, it's, it's not just some quality that, that you can encourage people to have. Well, just have faith in yourself. Well, that's going to be a short-lived faith, isn't it? Or if you'll just believe something's going to happen, it will. No, you must put your faith in the promises of God and in the person who is making those promises. And in that case, of course, it is in God. Our confidence is in the Lord. And faith is produced when we hear God speak to us. Well, how do we hear God speak to us? Well, we hear God's voice through his word. That's how we hear God's voice. And when we hear God's word, as we receive it, as we believe it, as we respond to it, then faith is produced in our lives. So let me ask you a question. How is your, how is your faith temperature tonight? How is your faith temperature? Well, I want you to know that if you find it's running cold and not red hot, it's because you and I are not hearing the word of God. We're not listening to the voice of God. We're not resting in the promises of God. And Abraham rested and he learned to rest. We know that by studying his life. We know that studying the life of, of Isaac, studying the life of Jacob and of Joseph, that these were men who at different times and different stages in their lives struggled with the promises of God. But as they came to the end of life, having learned some very difficult lessons, their faith and their confidence in God and in the promises that God had made to them continued to grow. And they were able to see beyond this life, beyond the circumstances of it, they were able to put their confidence in the Lord and trust in Him. The perception of faith. And oftentimes, as we live in this world, our perception, our sight, well, it grows weary and it, and, and it grows dim because we get distracted by many things. Look in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse number one. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse one. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Who's he referring to? He's referring to that group of people that he listed in the book uh, or in the 11th chapter. He said, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. What distracts us in this race? What, what slows us down from living a life in faith? What besets us? Well, it's the sin. 
the sins, the, the sins of our flesh, the snares that come to us. And he says, let us, let us lay aside every weight, everything that distracts us, everything that robs us of our time and our devotion to God, everything that takes away our desire to serve God. You see, we, we get dull in this world, don't we? We get carried away with material needs and we get distracted by trivial things. We're tempted and snared by sin and we begin to lack faith. And so he tells us to lay those things aside and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You know, each of us have a different race to run. All of us do. All of us have different things to deal with. We have different circumstances that, that, that uh, come to us in life. We have a, a different course to run, but we're to run it with patience. And how are we to exercise patience? In faith, believing and trusting God. How do we do that? Look at verse two, looking unto Jesus. If we want to maintain the right view, if we want to have the right perception, if we want to know what we really need to know, then we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He, uh, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. He's our example, isn't he? Despising the shame and is sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him, that's what we have to do. We have to consider the Lord Jesus in the midst of our trials and afflictions in our discouraging days, in the distractions of life. We must consider Jesus who endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. So we're to look to Jesus. And as we look to Jesus, as we look to him, as we look to his word, as he speaks to us, as those promises become real to us, well, then we begin to see them afar off. That is the perception of faith. What do we need tonight? We need the perception of faith. We need to see beyond our circumstances and our troubles and temptations, and we need to understand that God has made a promise to us. He's bringing us to himself. He's given us victory over sin in this life. We can trust him that he has delivered us from the power of sin. We know that one day we'll be freed from the very presence of sin and we can look to God and we can claim his promises, the perception of faith. We get, our problem is, is, is an eye problem. We're looking with a natural eye and we need to look with the eyes of faith. So number one, there is the perception of faith. As we live our lives in faith, number two, there is the persuasion of faith. Now, they saw the fulfillment of God's promises afar off. All right? And the Bible says, and they were persuaded of them. And that means that they were confident of them. They were persuaded that those promises will, would be fulfilled because they were confident in the one who had made the promise. Understand that the promises that God had given to us come from him. God must keep his word. That is uh, his nature. God fulfills his promises. And like Sarah in verse 11, they judged him faithful who had promised. 
So I want to encourage you tonight to judge God faithful. And as you judge God faithful, as you perceive his promises, I pray that you would be persuaded of them. I want you to look with me. An example of this is found in 2 Timothy chapter 1. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 8. 2 Timothy chapter number 1 and verse number 8. Paul's writing to Timothy. Timothy is his young son in the faith. And uh, Paul has, of course, suffered many things. He's imprisoned. And uh, he has suffered great hardships. And uh, he's encouraging Timothy not to be dissuaded, uh, not to be discouraged uh, because of his bonds and perhaps the potential for Timothy himself to be imprisoned for the cause of Christ. So look in 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 8. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. Don't be ashamed of this testimony. Don't become silent. Don't change the message because the world doesn't like it. Speak clearly. Speak boldly. Speak plainly. Speak powerfully the message of the gospel. He says, and, and, and be willing, he says, uh, be thou partaker of the afflictions of the gospel according to the power of God. That's a powerful statement that we're to be a partaker of the afflictions of the gospel. He says in verse 9, Who hath saved us, speaking of the Lord, and called us with a holy calling, and not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given us in Christ Jesus before the world began. But now is made manifest by the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who hath abolished death and hath brought life and immortality to light through the gospel Notice verse 11, whereunto I am appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. So Paul said, I'm suffering these things because I have been, in verse 11, appointed, called by God as a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the Gentiles. And he's writing to Timothy, who has also been called and appointed as a pastor and as a teacher. And he says, in verse 12, for the which cause I also suffer these things. I'm willing to suffer these things because God has called me. I am suffering these things because God has called me to this task. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed. I'm not backing down. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed. I'm not shirking from my responsibilities. How is it that Paul could continue to do what he was doing knowing that he would not be well received, knowing that he would suffer difficulty. Look again in verse 12. For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. You see, Paul knew the Lord. Abraham knew God. He, he knew him. He knew that God had called him out of Ur of the Chaldees as he sojourned and as uh, the years of his pilgrimage continued, as, as Abraham uh, stumbled at times and doubted at times and got himself into trouble at times, like all of us do, he came to know God in a greater way. And as the years of his life came drawing to a conclusion, Abraham was able to say with great confidence, I know 
who God is. I know that his promises are true. And this is what Paul is saying. Through all of the suffering and all of the difficulty, here's what I can tell you. I know whom I have believed. There's a young person who has trusted Christ as Savior, but has not yet been able to live through some things in life and experience the hardships and the difficulties and the faithfulness and the grace of God. You're in the process of coming to know God for who He is. Don't turn back. Because as you grow older, the Lord becomes more personal and real in your life. He's personal and real whether you recognize it or not. But as you go through difficulties, and we'll talk about that in a moment, God becomes more meaningful to you personally. Your relationship is more significant. And as that happens, as you see afar off and trust God, you become convinced or persuaded of some things. He said, I am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That's how he was able to write in Romans 8, 38. For I am persuaded. That means I am convinced because I know God, because he is faithful. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are people in our church who are going through great, great difficulties and trials. And I, I know that as they are walking through these trials, that God is making himself known to them. And I hope that they are being persuaded on a daily basis that God is able. And so we see, number one, is the perception of faith. They haven't received the promises, but they saw them afar off. They saw them as they heard the word of God. And then they were persuaded of them, the persuasion of faith. They were convinced. And then notice what he says again in verse 13. Hebrews chapter 11. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them. And would you say the next word with me? Embraced them. They embraced them. Here we find the passion of faith. The passion of faith. To embrace means to love, to welcome, to receive gladly. They gladly received the promises of God. And those promises gave them hope, hope that they needed. It gave hope to Abraham and Sarah that they would have a son. He gave hope to a disheartened Isaac who wanted to see Esau get the blessing, whose youngest son, who was going to receive the blessing, lied to him. And nevertheless, by faith, he blessed his sons concerning things to come. He gave hope to an old, uh, uh, staggering, stumbling, and weak Jacob who met God and uh, had God touch the hollow of his thigh, and he halted on his thigh from that point forward. That was the day that Jacob was broken 
that God broke him that day and he became Israel, a prince with God. And from that day forth, that lint never left him. And by the time of his old age, he's standing not on his own strength. He's standing on his staff in a demonstration of his dependence upon God. And he's embracing that promise as he dies. He says to Joseph, bring those boys in. I want to bless them. I'm getting ready to die, but I want you to know Egypt is not your home. God made a promise to Abraham and God's going to fulfill his promise. And so we can trust him. We can trust him. Romans chapter five tells us this in verse number two, speaking of Christ Jesus, who has justified us. The Bible says, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Romans 5, 2, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. You see, we, we can embrace these promises because we have seen them, because we have been persuaded of them, and they give us great joy. So we hold on to them. We sadly, we do not allow ourselves to let them go. Don't lose faith in them. Don't lose your faith. Verse 3, and not only so, we don't just simply rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, but we glory in tribulations also. Did I read that correctly? We glory in tribulations also. Are you glad when problems come? Do you say, hallelujah, here's another problem to deal with. He says, we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. How are we embracing these, these promises of God? Well, it begins oftentimes with the, with the problem, tribulation. And what do we see that tribulation does? It produces patience. Patience. Now that doesn't come natural to us, does it? When you have a problem, what's the first thing you ask God to do? <clears throat> Get rid of the problem, right? I had a little situation today and I, I told Melanie, I said, this, this is annoying me. It's a physical thing and ringing in my ears. I hate to you know, even bring that up, such a trivial thing, but it was driving me crazy. And uh, out of nowhere. And uh, I asked the Lord to help me with that, and he has, thank God. And um, please don't give me any warnings or anything or any medicinal advice on this tonight. If you've got bad news to give me, don't, don't. I just wait till another day, all right? But just, just something trivial like that. But it, it was such a distraction. And, and thanks be to God, it's gone. Uh, I was thinking about Dan Dixon. And uh, Dan's been dealing with this um, vertigo. And it's, it's not something that just passes. He's had nerve damage. And uh, he's having to through therapy, learn how to overcome that. And uh, others in our church, Dan Schatz and others, we know, we've been praying for them, uh, who've been dealing with 
mysterious things and tribulations, financial hardships, relationship difficulties, uh, trials that we deal with. And he says, tribulation worketh patience. God teaches us patience. That means to endure, to remain under. I don't want to remain under. Paul didn't want to remain under. He prayed three times. Lord, remove this thorn. And God said, my grace is sufficient. Not really the answer you want to hear, is it? But God is teaching him. My grace is sufficient. And God's grace is sufficient for our tribulations. And it teaches us patience. It produces patience in us. An endurance as to things or circumstances. When things aren't going our way, when difficulties come, are we going to bear up? Are we going to look to the Lord? Tribulation worketh patience. And then he says, and patience experience. So as tribula tribulation produces patience, patience produces experience. You'll never get experience if you don't go through tribulation. What does experience mean? It is the proof of the genuineness of God's promises. It's the proof. The experiences of life prove to us the genuineness of the power of God and the promises of God. So if everything goes smoothly, if everything goes according to my plan, I never have to exercise patience. And if I never exercise patience, then there's no experience for me. Now, what does my experience allow me to do? Teach other people, right? I'm going through hardships or I've gone through hardships. I didn't think I was going to be able to bear it up, but I didn't have a choice. I had to deal with this difficulty. I wanted God to remove it, but God didn't remove it. But God gave me grace, and he can give you grace too. And God gave me perspective. And let me give you some perspective. Do you think that can help people? Absolutely. Absolutely. I had breakfast with someone this morning, and uh, he, the burden of, of one of the great burdens of his life is discipleship. And uh, I, I think that's the ministry of the church, without a doubt, discipleship. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. He says that we're to go and teach all nations. That word teach all nations there means make disciples. That's what that literally means. We're to go give the gospel and to preach the gospel and to make disciples. Well, discipleship is a daily process. Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. You, you need to know this one. You better know this one, right? What did Jesus say? Follow me. What is discipleship? It is following the Lord Jesus on a daily basis. Following him through the trials of our lives, in the victories of our lives, in the, in the glories and in the temptations. We're following Jesus and we're trusting Jesus. As we're following Jesus and as we encounter hardships and difficulties, as we face temptations, as we grow discouraged, we have the Lord and we have one another. Discipleship then is a process by which you and I follow the Lord Jesus together. And you're going to have good days and bad days. 
you're going to have problems and weaknesses and trials. But there are other people who have suffered those same hardships and those same trials, although the particulars may be not exactly the same. They've gone through some difficulties. They've gone through the period of raising their kids. They've gone through heartaches. They've gone through periods of doubt and questioning, just like you're going through. They've gone through some hurts and some pains that they never imagined would come to them. And we can help one another by encouraging one another. That's how the body of Christ works. We are members of his body. We're joined together. And we minister to one another. And the body edifies itself. And so without this tribulation, we would not be required to exercise patience. And if there was no uh, need for patience, then there would be no uh, experience. And that experience is vital to the body because other people are going to experience these hardships and difficulties. Well, then what does experience do? Notice again in Romans chapter 5 and verse 4. And patience, experience, and experience, hope. Experience produces hope. Hope. Hope that God is going to fulfill his purpose and plan through these hardships and difficulties. You see, nothing can overthrow the will of God. Nothing can overthrow the counsel of God. God will accomplish his purpose and plan in our lives. And God specializes in taking messes and making them beautiful. God specializes in unsolvable problems because he can fix them in just a moment. And God teaches us and he gives us hope. And that hope is what the world needs. The world needs hope. And those of us who've experienced these difficulties and the faithfulness of God have received that hope. And therefore, when the tribulation comes, we embrace faith. We embrace it. We hold it to us. It's precious. We love it because it's the only thing that brings us through. Faith in who God is and what God said. Embrace it. Don't let it go. The passion of faith. Well, then lastly, we see the profession. The profession. Look again in verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. That's the perception. And were persuaded of them. That's the persuasion. And embraced them. That's the passion. And confessed. They confessed. They, they, they spoke. They declared something. What did they confess? That they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. What was their profession? Their profession was this. This world is not our home. What did Abraham leave to gain? He left Ur to gain an inheritance. But there came a day when Abraham recognized that his inheritance, though it was supposed to be in Canaan in his earthly life, that there was an inheritance that awaited him that was far greater than the physical Canaan. He confessed that he was a stranger and a pilgrim on the earth. When he went to buy that plot, that cave, that field 
with a cave in it to bury his wife. He told uh, those Philistines, he said, this, this is not my land. I'm a stranger here. He wanted them to know that this was not his home. And the world is not our home. We live as if it is, don't we? We, we, we invest our time and energy in it as if it is. But it isn't. So they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Look at verse 14. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they'd been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. In other words, they could have gone back. But now, now after they've known God, now after they've been convinced and persuaded of his promises, now after they have embraced them, they don't want to go back. Verse 16, because they desire a better country. That is a heavenly. You know, the Bible teaches that our bodies, our bodies groan. We, we groan in our spirit as well for uh, to be unclothed of this, this temporal body so that we can be clothed with an immortal body, a body not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's a better body. That's a better country. That's a better place for us to be. The Bible tells us to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. And as you look at the world and you see what condition it's in, you look at our country and see the direction that we're traveling in. Our, our nation is under the judgment of God. And there's no return from it. There's no return from it. It's under the judgment of God. We're not going to have the good old days. What are we looking for then? A better candidate? No, we're looking for a better country. Because we have a better Savior. And we need to put our eyes on Him. Our gaze on Him. And we need to profess in our own hearts and to everyone that we know that this world is not our home. This world is going to be consumed in the judgment of God. You know that is true. But we desire a better country. That is a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he hath prepared for them a city. What did Jesus say to his disciples in John chapter 14? I go to prepare a place for you. Well, he's prepared a place for us. And we can trust him by faith. That ought to be our profession. This world is not our home. And so may God help us in faith and to live by faith. Yes, we want the faith to trust God with the unknown, don't we? When God calls us and says, step out. Well, how's this going to happen? Where are we going? We don't have to know the answers. God knows them, right? When God says he's going to give us something that is beyond our ability, when it is impossible, we just have to trust God to do it, right? When God says, I want you to give the most precious thing you have, I want you to give your all to me. Well, we have to learn to have faith.
to trust God to do that. Well, how is that faith developed? Well, we have to see it. We have to perceive it. We have to hear his word. We must be persuaded, convinced that God is able to perform what he's promised. And we must embrace it. We must love it. We must welcome it. We must receive it. We must hold to that faith. And then we must profess. This world is not our home. And may God help us to live in faith. Amen? I don't know what trouble and trials you're going through, what difficulty, what challenge you're facing, but I'm praying that God will help us in these hours to live in faith. And when it's coming to our time to die, to die in faith. Thank you for listening. We pray that God has used his word to speak to you today. If you'd like to learn more about Tabernacle, you can visit us online at tabernaclebaptistchurch.com. There, you'll find additional information about our church, opportunities to partner with us financially, as well as other resources that we hope can be a help to you. May God bless you, and thank you once again for listening.